Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. It's Nostradamus here. Last week we predicted the IPL would be continuing. How wrong we were. Less than 24 hours after our episode went up onto the airwaves, we were all proved to be absolute charlatans. IPL postponed. More cases emerging. We've got Mishra, Saha, Hussey, Krishna, Cypher, and I'm sure some more to come as well. We'll talk all of that. We'll talk the Indian Test Squad for the World Test Championships and the Tour of England, West Indian contracts, and a whole heap more. All coming up on this episode of the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Well, you can't trust a word we say. IPL postponed 24 hours after we went um, to air. On a serious note, obviously, it's such a shame for the tournament and all of those um, involved. And the situation in India not getting... Uh, much better at the moment. Lots of uh, issues around um, access to medicine and oxygen and all all those kind of things. And a lot of the players actually pledging some money out of their own uh, pockets um, for that cause. But I guess of, of, of worry, a lot of those bubbles have popped, haven't they? We've got um, positive tests in a number of the camps now. Most of the overseas players um, on their way home or certainly heading home save the Australians, I think, camped out in the Maldives, um, Baldy. Yep. What What are our thoughts about all this un- unraveling? Was it the Was it the right call in hindsight? It seems pretty pretty clear to us now that they should have postponed the tournament. Is it? I I, I don't know. I, I guess the bubbles have broken. Uh, I guess we had the assumption that they weren't going to break. Uh, just before we went to air, we found last week we found that they did, they did break. It was interesting. Uh, Sarav Ganguly came out during the week said there will be a full sort of investigation into the the bubble breaches, uh, and that at the moment that causes sort of unknown, possibly around travelling between between the venues within the country mm. that they were travelling from, uh, but they're not sure. But the one thing that he reiterated a number of times was that they wanted to play, wanted to complete the IPL because if they don't, it's going to cost about three hundred and forty million dollars US Jeepers, that's to the a, BCCI. That seems like an extraordinary amount of money, and I mean it has ramifications for them. Obviously, we've talked a bit about uh, the world uh, World T Twenty World Cup that's coming up at the end of the year, and I mean they obviously want to postpone and, and have this rest of this IPL at some point. So it has ramifications for them actually being able to host them and, and I guess show that they can do that because that's probably the the one thing that, you know, I, I think this is the first time, right, that we've seen a, a bubble get broken in, in cricket so far. All the, all the England ones seem to, to go off uh, without a hitch. The South African ones were a bit... Uh, a bit questionable at times. Well, yeah, the South African one's questionable from, uh, I think, some of the players' views on how secure those bubbles were and, and obviously saw interaction from people outside of those bubbles and felt unsafe, mm. I think is what the England guys would have told you from that South Africa tour. The big thing for me here is that the BCCI needed this to work if they were going to host the World uh, T20. Um, they needed it to be a tournament that moved around. But introducing that travel component, if you look at the other bubbles that have existed, they've existed as separate mm. bubbles. Yes, in, in England, they moved from Emirates Old Trafford to the Rose Bowl or vice versa. I can't quite remember which way around. But, you know, let, let's not make any bones about it. That's a three-hour um, coach journey. Mm. It isn't flying around on uh, um, on aeroplanes all around, uh, you know, one of the highest populated countries in, in the world. So I think um, that was, in hindsight, 
I think not the right move. They should have probably concentrated and seems strange that they moved uh, from Chennai um, to, to a place that was arguably worse off during the course of the tournament as well. Perhaps not as agile as they, they could have been in their planning and their contingencies. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, I, I know there's been a lot and, and I, I don't really feel that equipped to kind of comment on should it have been cancelled, should, shouldn't it have been cancelled. It, it, I think the interesting thing is that a lot of people kind of go straight away. Yes, of course, it should have been cancelled. There's a whole uh, raft of things that are much more important um, going on at the moment. And, I, I, you know, it's hard to argue with all of those. Obviously, sympathies go out to, to everyone in India and everything that they're going through at the moment. But then you see the other stories where someone like Chetan Sakurai, has, he sort of talked about how the IPL was it gave him an opportunity to provide money to his family and, and all of those things. So there, there are other, there are other aspects at play here. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not equipped to, to answer really should it have gone ahead, but I think, mm. you know, when, when people's safety and people are starting to, that's starting to be impacted. I, I think that they had no choice, but to at least postpone the tournament. Mm. And then from that point, the windows are so tight for the, the world test championship and for um, you know all the other things that are that are going on, that, that there was really no option other than to move it in, a, in a, a reasonable way down the road. And that's going to be the real question moving forward: is can they complete the tournament, and if so, where? So, is it going to be in England? I saw Adam some county grounds put their hand up and said we'll host the remaining rounds of the tournament in a in a sort of secure. Uh, type situation over in a few of the county grounds in England. The UAE is a possibility. Uh, Sri Lanka's put their hand up as well and said they've got four grounds that have got floodlights that could host the, the rest of the tournament at a pinch. So there's going to be a question of windows. Absolutely, there's going to be a question of where. And then the big question is, is India equipped and will they be well enough equipped come the end of the year to be able to host the T20 World Cup? And it looks like at the moment that that's an iffy prospect. Yeah, well, you'd think about, um, you know, they're talking about maybe playing this in September, the IPL. I mean, in a way, that's a fantastic preparation. Well, 100% for India because every one of their players that are going to be in that squad would be there. So, I mean, I, I would say they'd be pretty keen to get that going. I don't think they would because they'll be completing a, a four-month tour of, of England ah. uh, in September, mid-September. Mm. So the, the issue with the resumption of the IPL becomes international tours. Mm. So you've got that window in September, which is prior to the, the 2020 World Cup. You've got... Um, England, who have said that they would like to hold it, uh, they, they would like to host it. They've got space. Sri Lanka has also put their hands up, and they're they're happy that they have they have held multi multi team or multi multi team a multi tournament. Yeah, franchise tournament yeah, yeah. with the LPL up and running for the you know six time lucky. <laughs> but the issue is uh, with the September window is that India does get back on the on mid mid September. I think their last game is the fourteenth of September. Mm. I just look. I, I don't look. I'm sure money will talk, and you just mentioned I think 340 million dollars US that um, is at stake here. But I, I think more importantly, I, I think the players, you know, are going to have a big say in this. They they've got had a massive year. Um, so yeah, England offering to host the rest of the tournament kind of makes sense in a lot of respects. Um, you know, Australia um, are going to be, um, you know, are going to be around those shores. Um, you're going to have, um, or oh, sorry, there's some Australian cricketers around those shores at the moment and um, playing county cricket. You'll have England and India, obviously, um, there. Um, some of the Kiwis will be there for the World Test Championship. So, you know, stick around um, and see at the end of the English summer. Some of them but, playing the blast as well. Yes, yeah, playing the blast as well. But, but I think the reality is that 
there isn't really a window in September for the IPL to be completed. Players have been on a hell of a treadmill through 18 months of COVID, nearly two years of COVID by the time that we get to this particular point. Mm. Are they really going to want to squeeze in a, a high-octane um, tournament before a T20 World Cup, followed very quickly by potentially another T20 World Cup, followed potentially by the fact that they're going to be in bubbles for the following summer as well? I, I, I can't see the players wanting to, yeah, wanting to do that, no matter how much of that Yankee dollars on offer. Quick question, purely wildly speculating here. Do you think the BCCI would rather play the rest of the IPL or have the T20 World Cup go ahead in India? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know what the the mon- I would say it's it's going to be monetary value. I mean, if if IPL, yeah. yeah. I, I, well, I think they're both worth a lot of money to India, mm. judged by the fact that they didn't want to renegotiate the tournaments. Remember when there was a big discussion whether mm. Australia gets the first shot at it, but no, they couldn't because India had already set the contracts up, which is another reason they don't want it to go to the UAE. Yep. as well. So, uh, to be honest, I I don't think I think they want both. Can they have their cake and eat it too? Well, it's, it's looking tough at the moment. Yeah, look, as I said at the top of the show, Nostradamus, we are not. So I, I don't think we can necessarily um, predict this. For, for my money, I, I can't see how it's going to happen. I, I certainly can't see how you're going to get um, a, a bunch of international cricketing nations agreeing to go to India unless something drastic happens there in terms of COVID over the course of the next four or five months. You know, they aren't going to have eradicated this in that period of time. So I just can't can't see the, the world um, T20 taking place um, in India. And from an IPL perspective, they'll want to get it on. Where it will be, I don't know. I'm sure they'll um, squeeze... Uh, yeah, squeeze enough time to, to fit it in some sometime, but I wouldn't want to be playing in it. We'll move on um, to... India naming their squad for the World Test Championship and the uh, England uh, um, England Test matches as well. Raul Dravid coming out in the press saying he thinks India have got a good chance of taking that series. 3-2 is his prediction. We've obviously got uh, a lot of cricket um, to go on ahead of that. What do we think of that squad for the Indians? I mean, I think when you have a 20-man squad, it's hard to kind of argue. I've seen a few things in there. You know, what about Prithvi Shaw, Bhuvi Kumar maybe could have been in that squad. But, I mean, there's a lot of talent in that squad. You know, no Hardik, no Kuldeep. I know Kuldeep Baldi, you've been someone that's uh, that's defended him in the past. But I think, you know, I think I said it last time when we talked about his bowling. He just bowls a lot of balls in the slot and he just hasn't bowled very well in the last year. So I'm, I'm not especially surprised to see him miss out. Well, the, the problem that Kuldeep has now is, is Akshar Patel yeah. and um, Jadeja fit as well. You've got three players there, including Ravi Ashwin, who just brings so much value with the bat as and well. And your man. And your man, Washington Sundar, is in yes, there as well. Yes, as well. But uh, Throw th- him those, in those three definitely who have who've jumped or yep. stormed those, those, the scene. Yeah, those guys have stormed ahead of him, and he's got some work to do in domestic cricket in the Ranji Trophy, and, and if he can get some games in the IPL to, to prove selectors wrong. The thing that has surprised me a little bit is that IPL hasn't seemed to be much of a shop window in terms of making it into the squad. Prithvi Shaw's been tearing up trees in the domestic tournament. He had a massive start to the IPL. He's done everything he could possibly do to prove that he's back and scoring runs for India. And he wasn't even among the reserves. Mm. So they picked a, a reserve opening bat who you know might have performed well in the domestic tournament as well. But he, he's leapfrogged both Prithvi Shaw and Shikha Darwin as well. I'm, I'm happy that they, they haven't, though. They've sort of picked on... 
performance of the last series against England and Australia, they have they have kept them. I mean, oh, absolutely. There's no reason not to keep the incumbents. The he, question for me is who goes into the reserves. But even a guy like um, Shadul Takur, who had a horrible IPL, um, he's been picked on on you know past performances and saying that he's probably not going to play behind the likes of you know Bumrah, Sharma, Siraj. Shami. Mohammed Shami's back yeah, in yeah, there as well. So you're probably not going to play, but I, I like that they've picked the teams like that. One person I did like that they'd brought in, well, two people in the, you know, that four-man reserves bench they've sort of picked, uh, Avish Khan and um, what's the other fast bowler? Prasad, he's got... Um, Krishna, yeah. Krishna, he's got COVID now, but I like to see that those guys got to go. I think uh, Krishna got to go in the one-dayers, yep. but it's good to see those guys rewarded mm. uh, and just adding to that battery of pace. That's um, got so India much depth. Got. It's scary how much depth India have at the moment. It's it's unbelievable. We'll come on to, the, I guess, the spin question and how many they'll play. Obviously, in England, we discussed last week, I think it's going to be with the Dukes cricket ball. So they've got a lot of bases covered. Any uh, predictions this far out on what that 11 looks like for India? Oh, I think it's really hard. I think that bowling, the trying to predict that bowling attack is actually really hard because, yeah, what what kind of what do they do with the spin? You've had, uh, you know, got Aksha, you've got uh, Ravi Jadeja, you've got Ashwin, you've got Washington Sunder, who we all just mentioned. I, I think maybe they can pick two of those guys. All of those guys can bat, yeah. And and, and Rishabh Pant being able to bat in the top five means that you actually can have five batters a keeper, and five bowlers. Mm. And if you pick Jadeja and Ashwin or Jadeja and Aksa or you know, whoever of those four spinners, they can all bat maybe sevens a half a spot too high, but they can all bat at seven and I eight. I think and sevens then, half a spot too high for Jadeja. No, yes. I know. But but if you had to pick, say, Ravi, uh, Ravindra Chandra and Ashwin mm. at, at, at seven, that's maybe half a spot too high, although he has batted there in Test Cricket before. So they've got so much flexibility because those two spinners can bat that they can pick you know, Boomer is a genuine number eleven. Siraj is, is probably in that same boat as well. But you know, if you can pick a couple of those guys, they could they could go in with five bowlers, five the, genuine bowlers. The other reason they can pick those two spinners is that they are now performing outside mm. of India. Mm. They're performing abroad. Uh, so I think that they they could definitely pick those two spinners, elongate their batting lineup, and and have that pace battery that they've got. And even two spinners. How do, so? I mean, let, let's take Sundar out of the equation because, as well as he's done, I don't think he's in in the conversation between those two. You've got Ashwin and uh, Jadeja, who are that. I feel like they're probably your incumbents. Yep. But then you've got uh, Aksha Patel, who's the left arm Bradman. That you know, like <laughs> what, his his stats from the last series were just astonishing. Oh, you can't leave Ashwin out. Ashwin's almost the best. Well, he's the best spinner in the world right now, but he's almost the best spinner of the last twenty years. Just about, he's incredible. I and a lot of experience could, in England as well. Yeah, as I don't. Canny cricket. I don't think you can leave Ashwin out. So it's a shootout for me between Jadeja, who's probably got a slight edge, maybe with the bat, and Aksha's probably got a slight edge at the moment with the ball, given the series that he had against England in India. So it's a it's a real question, and uh, you know, if England don't produce green seeming wickets and you could play three spinners in England you know it's not it's not unheard of well it's not probably unheard of but it's not out of the question I think if, if in England if India rock up and go this is a pitch that our seamers can do the job on uh, Jadeja will, will get that get that spot because he elongates the batting and he can hold an end if they need to mm. yeah he can play a couple of different roles can't he yep. that's that's a real strength of his I mean and I guess we're talking about the bowling seamers yeah, well, that that's a as big a question. There's yeah. a there's a chance you're leaving Bummer out of, of that when you've got the likes of Mohammed uh, Shami, who in English conditions is an excellent 
excellent exponent of that. Um, Ishant Sharma as well has got both the away swinger and the in swinger going. Uh, you know that that's going to be really really key um, in English conditions. And then I, I've really liked the look of Siraj as well. So you know they've they, they've got literally every single base um, covered. So it looks like it's going to be six nil. Jesus. <laughs> It's going to be an hell of a series. The, the way I see it, I think Ishant and Bumrah are locked in uh, in their, their pace bowling, and I think that they will go for the extra pace. We have a whiskey bit on that. I don't reckon Bumrah plays that first test match. Oh, he plays the World Test Championship final. I'm happy sure. to take that whiskey bit. Yeah. I think Bumrah plays, unless he's injured. If he's, if he's injured, then he If he's play. fully fit, I, I think you have to play him in the final. You I have to play an X Factor in the final, I don't you? He should snap his hand off, Raj, and take that bit. <laughs> well, either way, I'm a winner. Um, I'll get to have a whiskey at the end of it. Yeah. Um, what's next, guys? So should we move on? We'll talk a little bit Zimbabwe-Pakistan border. So, sorry, just before we move on to that Zimbabwe-Pakistan, what, what do you make of the, the four-week gap there for India? So they've got the World Test Championship and then they've got four four weeks off. Uh, the I think it was, was it Sh- Sri Lanka? Or somebody said that they want an India tour. A white ball tour in that series. Yeah, th- that- there's been talk about that. I, I don't see how they're going to be able to send any of the guys that are on that England tour to, to that. It would need to be a B team, right, when you've got the quarantine piece and, and probably some complications just even around travel logistics. Yeah. So that may or may not um, take place. I, I read today that it looks as if the Indian team are going to have some intra-squad practice games over that three or four-week period and um, I'm sure they'll be given um, you know, an excellent facility in order to, to do that, probably with a pitch that's like rolled snot and won't be nothing <laughs> like the one that they'll play at the first test against England. Um, but yeah, who hasn't done that to an opposition before? <laughs> we'll just quickly, swiftly move on from that. But that that is an interesting point that um, that there is that gap because, I mean, we just, you know, a uh, bit of a spoiler alert, we, we just talked to Matt Henry, so that, that podcast will be out later this week probably, but he mentioned there's only about four days between the the end of that Test Series against England and then the World Test Championship. It does seem a bit odd that they've kind of then had four, four weeks between uh, the India Series. So, But I, I know I know the New Zealand Series with England kind of came in, you know, it, it came in late into the calendar. It's not in the World Test Championship. It was not in anything. It's kind of just, I would say, a helping hand to, to New Zealand to, to say, come and give it, you know, you can play a couple of tests because there's no, ben- I mean, I don't think there's that much benefit to England playing them, is there? Absolutely. Um, it, they need seven test matches in a summer um, to, um, you know, if you think of last year, they had a Rose Bowl and they had um, Emirates Old Trafford. They're now back on the road edge. Baston's got a test match. We're obviously back at Lords, the Oval, etc. Um, it's imperative for those test match hosting grounds that they get some cricket. Um, and by all accounts, there will be some fans back in the grounds mm. for those games. And the second thing is the TV deal yeah. needs seven test matches in the summer. So um, I think that'll be your reason that they've um, that they've taken the opportunity to tack a couple of tests on. Not just kind to the Kiwis? Uh, absolutely. I'm sure that formed <laughs> a large part of the decision-making uh, uh, making process. Board is Zimbabwe, Pakistan going on. Exciting game. Yeah, a dominant uh, 2-0 series win for, for Pakistan. Won by an innings and 147 runs uh, in the Pakistan tour of Zimbabwe. So, you know, double century for Abid Ali, 100 for Azhar Ali and five wicket hauls for, uh, let's have a look here, they're lining up 
Uh, Hassan Ali, Shaheen Shahafridi and Nolman Ali took five wickets in the second innings to go with his 97 in the first innings. Look, it was absolute drumming, to be fair. Um, the, the highlight really is the debut of one of the Pakistan guys. I think his name is Tabish Khan, the fast bowler, uh, made his debut at 36. So he's the, I think the third oldest Pakistan cricketer ever to make his debut for the country. He has 598 first-class wickets prior to making his debut. So he's had a reasonable first-class career. Handy. Um, handy. Second highest number of first-class first wickets in the last 10 years outside of um, Pushpa Kamara from, from Sri Lanka. So he's been, he's been doing the rounds in domestic cricket in Pakistan for a very long time, had a successful debut in an innings victory against Zimbabwe, who looked like they might struggle in Test cricket moving forward for a little while at least. Got to love having the oppo uh, seven for three hundred and forty-one, and then not taking another wicket until five hundred and ten on the board. That's uh, that's some leather to be chased, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Look, it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a struggle for Zimbabwe, right? Uh, so blessing. It looks like he's the he's the man to lead their attack, and and he bowled pretty well in that first innings, three for eighty-two, but. After that, it falls away pretty pretty markedly for Zimbabwe. So they've got a bit of a hill to climb to become competitive in Test cricket again. Yeah, I think it's been an. Uh, I, I know it has been talked about in, in some circles, but COVID has obviously been really, really, really tough for it the, has been, yeah. the associate. You know, not not an well, not an associate nation Zimbabwe, but you know the the lesser ranked nations in in, uh, in cricket because a lot of a lot of money has obviously gone in to get a lot of these other tours going on. And then, you know, those nations just don't have the money to put those tours on. I, know, I saw, um, I couldn't tell you the, the actual teams, but I know that some of the World, Test, uh, the World T20 uh, World Cup, some of the qualifiers have, have been stopped for, for this round. So teams have just progressed, which is, you know, I, I know it's lower down in, in the, the, you know, it's not going to change the result of who wins that T20 World Cup. But those nations really, those are the opportunities that they're looking for to Let's- try and, Improve their cricket. Well, and, that's the and livelihood of the players and, and the opportunity for those nations, as we've talked to a lot of guests on the podcast from developing cricket nations, you know, like um, Shane Dietz and Vanuatu and others who are talking about the need to have more cricket to be able to uplift those nations. And unfortunately, it's just not happening at the moment. So, you know, the sooner we can make that change and get those associate nations playing competitive cricket, the better. Well, guys, we're going to split this week in cricket into two. So we'll, we'll, we'll be back after this um, short swish. We're going to talk some West Indian contracts, a couple of snippets from county cricket and some other trivia as well. Back very, very soon. Welcome back to the pod. Raj, you're going to come off the long run because we're going to talk West Indian cricket contracts and the lack thereof for some players. Yeah, a lot of a lot of conjecture over the list of contracts that have come out for the West Indies uh, in the last week. So previously they had 22, so that's dropped down to 18 contracts now, split between red and white ball. Uh, negatives first, I guess, uh, players like Roston Chase, Shimron Hitmeyer, uh, Shane Dowrich, uh, among others, uh, did not pick up contracts or completely dropped off the list. Uh, I was happy to see the likes of Kyle Mayers, uh, you don't have to say his name for me, Baldy. Bonner. And Kuma Bonner. And Josh De Silva get contracts. So I think they've played well in and are the future for West Indies cricket. Um yeah, throw it out to the out to the fellas. What do you think? But before we get to the the actual West Indies discussion, what do you guys think of actually having white ball and, and test contracts? Because I mean that's not what they do here in New Zealand. You get ranked on, you know, your performance in all of the different uh disciplines and, and and you know you get your top 20 contracts of international cricket from here from there and 
personally, I feel that that's a better system because it feels like it pigeonholes people into certain areas. It, it, it certainly feels like, from the English perspective, it's done that for someone like Johnny Bairstow or players that get put in that white ball contracts and don't have a test contract. It seems to be... It just seems to be something that gets discussed over and over and over again and, and kind of makes it hard for them to break through those barriers. So they, they do have a, a provision for a overall contract. Like mm. Jason Holder is the only one yeah, who right. has a contract. Uh, I guess it's a way to for them to, to dole out money based on merit. Mm. Uh, that's how they view these players and, and the money that goes along with those. It's like tearing them. Uh, that's how they run it. Yeah, I've probably got two opposing points of view. So I think, um, number one, I think if you're a white ball cricketer um, and you're playing a lot of franchise tournament, it actually might be more beneficial for you to have a white ball contract because it gives you the opportunity to go and play in the Caribbean Premier League, the Indian Premier League, the Big Bash, because you've got that opportunity. You don't um, run the, in inverted commas, risk of being called up for a Red Bull tour that you can't get out of and your board's not going to give you a no objection certificate um, to do so. On the flip side, I'd say, and, and England have probably struggled a little bit with this, with uh, as you allude to, their red and white ball contracts. There's no differentiation between a white ball T20 and a white ball ODI contract. And the way the game's going, you're, you're actually seeing players start to be specialists in um, a specific white ball format now. Mm. So um, again, you know, are you going to then have three different um, contract types? So yeah, look, certainly... Um, yeah, look, certainly a very, very interesting one. And who knows what happens when the pink ball contracts come in. <laughs> <laughs> On the West Indies then, Baldy, I think you were going to run into a few things. Well, I think there are a couple of names on there that really deserve their shot, right? So Joshua De Silva has been excellent for the West Indies. As long as he wears long sleeves. As long as he wears long sleeves, Adam. Thank you very much. Uh, Nkumra Bonner and Kyle Mayers have been excellent in their overseas tour of Pakistan. That was the opportunity for those players to take the... You know, to take that opportunity that was given to them and to make something of it. And and those guys in particular, those three, were guys that really stood up and were counted in that tour and deserved their opportunity to play for the West Indies and to represent uh, the island nations moving forward. There are a number of players, uh, and I'll throw to you here, Raj, to talk about it who missed out that I think are unlucky to miss out or don't necessarily deserve to miss out, but perhaps by virtue of the fact that they've moved from 22 contracts last year to 18 contracts this year, like Australia did, you know, reduce the number of contracted players that deserving guys have, have missed out. I've got a few, Raj. Do you want to throw a couple of names into the ring to get us started? Well, my main one is, is, is Shimron Hitmeyer. I, I think that he's probably someone who carries that that presence on the world game, especially with the white ball, uh, that I think that he probably deserves a contract and he'll always be picked if available. That's where I think the elephant in this room is, is the is, a, is available point, because he's one of the players who uh, opted out of touring. Mm. However, then you look at the IPL, everything that's happened in India, and he was happy to play over there. So you've got to look at it from, from that perspective. Is the board a little bit upset about that? The other article that came out the day of those contracts being awarded was Jason Holder coming out and basically complaining about the lack of financial reward for playing for your country, playing for the West Indies. Mm. Uh, he retained the red and white ball contract that he's got. Look, I think that that's one of the big things. When you look at the contract list for um, our respective nations, Bordy Australia, myself, England, and you guys from a Black Caps perspective, you wouldn't see your gun players missing off your contract list. And we're looking down that list. There's no Chris Gale. There's no Andre Russell. 
Uh, there's no Bravo in there. You know, there's guys that would be on anyone else's top 20 cricketers list that don't even get in there. And, and look, to an extent, that's such a shame for West Indies cricket, who seem to be actually turning the, on tide, the cusp of turning the tide a little bit. You know, they've often said, you know, a lot of the American sports and particularly the coverage you get in the Caribbean is driving kids towards basketball and, uh, and uh, football. Um, they've got a group of players here, which if you just add in a couple of those guys, they really could be a contender and, and are a contender in the white ball tournaments, right? But they well, they're going to they, be, a, yeah, if they get all those guys to play in the T20 World Cup, they, they're absolutely a real chance to win that tournament. If if all of their first choice players are available, the West Indies are in the top four teams in the T20 World Cup easily, easily. If you put them in a final and all their players were available, you could almost put money on the West Indies winning the game. So I guess my question here, and I'll throw it out to whoever wants to jump on this grenade. Um, <laughs> you've got the, the various boards around the Caribbean now going, we want to see the criteria that you picked these players on. Mm. Do you think that that level of transparency should be available or should the governing body just be able to go, this is who we want for the future, this is who we're going to pick? I think the I think the argument that New Zealand make in terms of maximum transparency, and I think they're the ones that really lead the way here, is that they rank their players on some pretty well published criteria. You know, test performances, one day performances, number of caps. You know, how many formats did you play, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so they can make their contract decisions really quite transparent. The challenge that you've got, of course, with the West Indies, as with a number of organisations, is when you've got lots of, in this case, nations competing for power at the seat of the table in terms of those contracting decisions, it can get quite, can get quite murky and can get very um, um, partisan, right? We want our guy who's played for Trinidad who, or who's played for the Leeward Islands or who has played for whoever, they want their guy on that, on that contracted list. And that's where the West Indies has been challenged for a number of years now in terms of the way that they've awarded contracts and selected their side. So I don't think that's necessarily going to change unless there's fundamental change in the way that West Indies cricket is governed. But it's really hard to get all of those worthy names into a list of 17 or 18. I mean, who do you who do you leave out from that list if you wanted to add Sheldon Cottrell, if you wanted to add Shamar Brooks, who we thought was, an, was a pretty good cricketer when we when we watched him yeah. in England? Um, you, you throw a guy like uh, Shimron Hetmeyer in there. Even O'Shane Thomas yeah. probably deserves to have a white ball contract because Sheldon Cottrell and O'Shane Thomas in the Tour of New Zealand were probably their two first choice white ball bowlers coming into that tour. So, you know, there's lots of worthy guys who have missed out on contracts this year, but they're not alone. You know, there are Australians who've missed out, Kiwis who've missed out as well. So, Yeah, look, I can understand the conjecture to answer your question. I, I think that definitely if you're, you know, Jamaica or Barbados or Trinidad or St. Kitts or whoever it might be, and one of your guys that you think should be there, that's a contract that you then don't have to award to one of your younger players. Um, when you've And we, we've already talked about a limited amount of money in the game. So, the fact that they've got a shell out of their pocket if they want that individual to be playing cricket for them and not risk, uh, let's be honest, risk that player potentially saying, I'm actually sod it, I'm not going to play any domestic cricket. I'm not going to make myself available for West Indies. I'm going to go off and play franchise tournaments. That's really to the detriment of their, you know, of their island at, at that point. So, 
yeah, look, I think that there should be some transparency around that. And look, I'm sure there's plenty more to play in this as well. Just an interesting note at the bottom of this article that was on the Cricket West Indies website. Cricket West Indies invests in the long-term development of crickers at both international and regional level by retaining 108 male players on retainer contracts each year as part of the professional cricket system. So the guys underneath the top tier are paid on retainer by West Indies cricket. But you're like, but you're right, if there's one of those you know, junior or upcoming cricketers that are, uh, you know, have a lot of potential, they might miss out because their island doesn't get a one of their guys on a mass, on a national contract, etc. You know, let's not forget this is the board's website, so that comment oh, is that, yeah, that yeah. comment is yeah. very very yeah. much <laughs> saying um, we know the argument that you're going to place upon us, and we're going to tell you that we've got three pound fifty, so you can retain someone. When yep. you know the reality is that from a financial perspective, that's going to really hamper a board that's got to pay. Um, you know, one of those players that could go and make big money in a franchise. Um, I don't disagree. Yeah, yep, don't disagree. So, guys, before we wrap up, want to want to take a quick look at county cricket. So, um, a couple of notable things um, for me. We saw a, a bit of a duel between Stuart Broad and Alistair Cook, um, which was quite a nice thing to watch um, on the live stream. And the other thing, I think um, Ollie Robertson's stock just um, continues to um, to improve. I, I watched a little YouTube clip of all his fifty eight um, wickets a couple of years ago. Um, look, he, he's tall. He hits the deck. He, you know, he bowls really, really good English lengths and, and quite a hard length as well. Um, so, hey, there's some competition for, for places there. The cat amongst the pigeons now with all the guys back from the IPL. So it looks like Ben Folks will probably miss out on his home um, debut um, with Joss Butler back. Sam Curran back. So does Chris Wokes um, get a go? Um, but top of the order is the thing for me. So, um yeah, Hasib Hamid, another little score, got 40-odd this week to add to his couple of hundreds and a 90. So I'm sure that clamour um, is going to increase. But um, Raj, you'll be happy to know that um, Rory Burns um, back uh, in the brown helmet of Surrey as well, um, looking resplendent. with. Uh, he's got a long hairdo at the moment. I don't know whether you like that or, or not. I'm all for that as long as he ties it up on a night out. <laughs> yeah, well, I cannot confirm or deny whether uh, that that's the case. I think it goes Alice Band, um, maybe. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. It it, it will be really interesting. I'm, I'm I'm I know I know we've got the World Test Championship coming up after that, but I'm really fascinated how the two sides kind of approach these two tests for England and New Zealand because it's it in a way it's a great opportunity for both of them to go. Let's let's give opportunities to new guys. Like you said, Robinson. Everywhere you, I read online or social media, there's a there's a huge groundswell. It seems like Ollie Robinson, Ollie Robinson. He's he may get his opportunity in this, but all the IPL players now being back actually throws throws the cat amongst the pigeons because I'm sure it was going to be the same for New Zealand. We were going to see all of those guys miss at least the first test, and and you know we would have maybe seen someone like Rachin Ravindra make his debut. Now with everyone back, I, I, I think Trent Bolt is coming home for a couple of weeks, so that does open up one seam spot, but everyone else is going to be there. And, you know, it, it means do they go, okay, this is a great opportunity to blood a few guys. I don't think New Zealand's going to take that approach now. I think New Zealand's going to go, this is our opportunity to, to get some match practice in for the World Test Championship, find our best 11, and go in with a bit of form, which is I don't think what they would have done if all those IPL players were missing. 
Yeah, look, it is really interesting. And I think, you know, what we are going to see is nations are going to need to really test their bench strength, aren't they? If we're going to go the next year or so, you would expect there's going to be some restrictions around travel and bubbles and all that kind of stuff. So you're going to need a deep bench. You're going to need big squads and you're going to need to take the right um, approach when it comes to mental well-being of, of some of the some of the guys. So, you know, as you said, Trent Bolt is an example of that returning home, having a couple of extra weeks off. Um, you know, he's been in a pretty high-pressure environment with the Mumbai Indians. I think you'll potentially see the same with the likes of a Joss Butler, who's played a hell of a lot of cricket. Uh, Moen Ali, who they've wrapped up in a little bit of cotton wool. Sam Curran, who's been in and around a lot of bubbles. Um, um, desperately needs a haircut, I think. Um, so, you know, he's got to make sure he can get that um, squeezed in before his return as well. But look, I absolutely think we'll see a little bit of that. But um, He could just get Brett Lee to give him a haircut if, uh, if the Instagram pictures I've seen of Scott Starris are anything to go by. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that, but... Yeah, not. I, I would say he maybe should stay away from Brett Lee unless he wants to look uh, like his brother Tom. Well, yeah, what, that's what they've been doing lately, switching here all the time. <laughs> to, to answer your question, I don't think New Zealand will do that. I no. think New Zealand is going there to to put England to the sword. What 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 do? You <laughs> <laughs> what, Good luck with that. What's the um, what's the appetite like uh, to see India absolutely dominated? Uh, in the in this little bit, you said Rahul, Rahul Dravid came out today, talked a little bit about the series. Well, what is in, the feeling in England at the moment about the Indian series? Is it is it enough to overshadow this New Zealand series? Yeah, look, um, look, I, I definitely think that the English cricketing public are going to have more of an eye on that England India series than um, the World Test Championship. Um, and and look, to be honest, and it's a little bit unfair. Uh, even the New Zealand series as well, I, I think, um, particularly with the population in England um, being, you know, heavily dominant with um, Indian and Pakistani um, communities in and around a lot of those, uh, particularly test-playing um, cities. Th- there's a real interest in that, and I think that to an extent, the dominance of Indian cricket and the superstars and the IPL has probably led to it being second only now to an Australia series for for. Uh, for England and I think the fact that it's going to be bloody close we've talked about that Indian seam attack um, it's a mouthwatering prospect but I've got to say I'm with Dravid man like the the Indian batting side knocks spots off that England side we've got two or three questions in our top order we've got an excellent seam attack Jimmy Anderson back um, to fitness um, this week as well Um, he made his um, return for Lancashire Um, but yeah, when you kind of add those two teams up, you've got an absolutely all-star batting lineup and then an all-star seam lineup with a couple of great spin options versus a pretty shaky-looking batting lineup. To be perfectly honest, some excellent spe- seaming for England, but still some questions around who their who their best spinners are. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, and look, we've got a um, we obviously uh, the, we were expecting to be talking about the IPL for the next few weeks. Uh, luckily, we already had a few interviews lined up. We, as I said, Matt Henry will come out later this week. We've got a couple more in the pipeline, but we've also got something uh, pretty exciting that, that Baldy's been working on uh, that we are hoping to roll out in the next couple of weeks that will hopefully spark a bit of debate. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that, Baldy? Yeah, I mean, we get into a lot of debates and chats around the you know around the podcast table when we do our Mount Rushmore debates or when we talk about various cricketers or when we're down the pub. You know, people call us out and go, you know, I can't believe you gave this guy a rap or, or had questions about that guy. So I've been doing that, a fit. That's how big we are. People just, uh, random people just calling right. us out at the pub now. Quite often, yeah. They tell me how I changed their life. <laughs> Genuine. 
genuine someone did. Uh, it wasn't about podcasting, but but Rage did change a life. Um, so it, it got me thinking about a number of different questions, and, and often it's that classic question of how do you compare eras and how do you compare players across disciplines. And, you know, I, I get the one that a lot of... Would, would you have rather watched Pete Barry Richards for a couple of test matches or watch 10 years of Michael Clark? And as an Australian, I know what I'd rather have the answer as. But, and that's but, Barry Richards, isn't it? And, and that's Barry, South Australia. And, and that's Barry Richards. But, I mean, the ultimate question in all those great sporting debates is how do you compare disciplines and eras? So what we've set out to do as part of our um, sort of writing remit in, in the Top Order podcast is start to understand some of those um, some of those comparisons. So I've doing, been doing a bit of work about um, the statistics of that and, and, and building up a case for, for who's the best statistical cricketer of all time. And we've started to come up with a, a list of the 100 greatest test cricketers of all time. So we'll be, we'll be very happy to, to debate that list on this podcast. The guys haven't really seen uh, what my list of, of the 100 greatest test cricketers of all time is yet, and we'll be debuting those on a few episodes in the coming weeks, uh, 10 at a time, and we'll be having an opportunity to talk about those, and, and I'll be uh, releasing on our website, thetoporderpodcast.com, some fairly in-depth analysis and and arguments for why each of those players deserves uh, their spot in, in Baldi's or the Top Order Podcast's Hall of Fame for Test Cricketers. Well, Border, you, you're very modest because I know the amount of work that's that's gone into that, and you've alluded to what your role in that's going to be, and that is some hell of a, a lot of statistical analysis. What what do you see our roles being in terms of the, the way that this debate's um, going to play out? Oh, largely to tell me how wrong I am, um, <laughs> and to tell me just how wrong I am, and in so many different ways. But what we want to what we want to try and achieve from this is is open up a debate and open up a conversation in pubs and in and in grandstands and in cricket bars around the country and around the world as to who the greatest cricketers of all time might be. Um, and we've got cricketers from every test-playing nation on that list, I believe. I think we've got at least one player from, from every one of the major test-playing nations. Um, so there's so everyone gets you know at least a seat at the table, but I'm fully expecting that you guys will, will tell me, and, and hopefully the listeners will also tell us as a group just how wrong we are about where David Gower sits or where Imran Khan sits or why Kapil Dev is a better all-rounder than Imran Khan. So there's going to be all those kind of debates and I'm fully expecting to to have a, a lot of uh, egg on my face as we go through the list. And, and without giving away too many spoilers, Bordy, give us a couple of the, the close matchups that you're expecting uh, to cause a few fireworks around the top order table. Well, I'm expecting there to be a, a serious backlash about where we put WG Grace on the list. Uh, he is in the top 100. I'll spoil that one for you just now. But he's in a position that I think will leave a lot of senior cricket watchers and senior cricket fans uh, very chagrined. Do you mean old or <laughs> yes, old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. People who people who ever had a chance to watch him play and are listening to this podcast <laughs> will, Hi, Dad. Be, will be will be very <laughs> upset about about where WG Grace sits. Uh, Ely, Ian Healy versus Mark Boucher is going to be an interesting debate. I'm no, looking, I'm looking forward to presenting that one to you and, and sharing my thoughts on that. I think there are a lot of a lot of guys that are really close in terms of their career. That you know, maybe one of them's had a shorter career and one slightly longer. And what does that longevity mean? You know, for a guy like Shakib Al Hassan, how much of his teammates influenced his ability to perform at the highest level? Uh, for a guy like Alex Stewart, how much? Has England's lack of success over the course of his career impacted his legacy as a as a as a cricketer of great standing? You know he's got eight thousand seven hundred runs, but he didn't win that many Test matches. So how does that impact his legacy? So all of that comes into consideration. Well, as you say, Bordy, a lot of work's gone into that. Really looking forward um, to dipping 
um, into that and really can't wait for the um, the, the showdown at the top between uh, Bradman and Adam Voges. Um, <laughs> but that's all coming up on a future episode at some point. But for now, it is good night from us all here at the Top Order podcast. As Lippy mentioned, please listen out in the feed to our chat with Matt Henry. We've got that greatest series coming up soon. And obviously, Test Cricket not too far away. The smell of cut grass, leather on willow, lords and all that kind of jazz, um, even though it's at the Rose Bowl, but uh, don't let that get in the way of the narrative. But for us, it's good night and God bless once again. See you soon.